This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars, sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Welcome to the September 25th, 2023 For Your Benefit radio show. I'm Bob Lines, and joining us today is guest Tom O'Rourke. I won't say Tom was a guest. He's the one that introduced me to all this a few years ago. Good morning, Tom. Hey, Bob. How are you? Well, Been more than a few years, Bob. <laughs> yep. And you're, you're still on top of all that tax law. And Andrew's keeping the... Yeah, um, try. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's going to be a good time. So we're going to talk about, I guess, federal employees and the Federal Employee Health Benefits Program as a tax reduction. You know, we're going to be slanted to taxes, folks. And... Um, how FEHB premiums and out-of-pocket medical expenses can be paid on a pre-tax basis, etc. So, Tom, take us to the uh, hoop. Well, Bob, I, probably the single most common question I get from any individual, federal employee or otherwise, is what can I do to reduce my taxes? And quite commonly, people will focus on what can I deduct and what I found in my own practice and in my own life, that as a result of the, the tax act that was passed in 2017 and became effective in 2018, many individual taxpayers no longer itemize their deductions. There were some pretty significant changes that became effective on January 1st, 2018 that limited uh, I, things that were previously fully deductible. For example, this uh, the reduction in the itemized deduction for any state and local taxes you pay affected a lot of folks in the D.C. area because the states in the D.C. area are generally relatively high tax states. And the maximum you can claim as a deduction now is $10,000. And for many married couples who work in D.C., if both the husband and the wife have a job, their taxes are a lot more than $10,000. But when they itemize their deductions, they can only claim $10,000. In addition to that, uh, the ability to deduct all the interest you pay on a home equity loan was uh, limited. Now you can only deduct interest to the extent you use the proceeds of the loan to maintain or improve your home. And then one entire category of deductions was completely eliminated, and that was miscellaneous itemized deductions. And that included things like uniform expenses, professional fees, uh, union dues, investment advisory fees, tax preparation costs. All of those items were lumped together under the category miscellaneous itemized deductions, and they're no longer deductible. As a result, Many people who have itemized deductions for many years found that it no longer made sense for them to do that. And uh, because uh, in addition to reducing or eliminating certain itemized deductions, the amount of the standard deduction was significantly increased. And for married couples now, uh, the standard deduction is almost $28,000. So, uh, a lot of people simply, it doesn't make sense for them to itemize deductions anymore because the standard deduction is greater. So when I give my tax reduction advice, what I tell people is you need to look for ways where you have money that you control and you receive, but you don't have to pay taxes on it. And for federal employees, or really for all employees, but typically the groups I'm speaking to are federal employees, uh, where you need to look to reduce your tax liability is your employee benefits program. Uh, the federal employee benefits program has a number of items that allow individuals to significantly reduce their tax liability. And probably the crown jewel of that employee benefit package is the ability to put money into the TSP on a pre-tax basis. Now, that's 
TSP has been around for more than 30 years now, and it's just proven to be just a wonderful program. It allows people to invest in a program that is very well managed at a low cost. It offers attractive investment features. And for many folks, for folks covered by FERS, uh, it gives them a matching contribution. If you contribute 5% of your salary, you double your money in the first year, guaranteed by Uncle Sam. And in addition to that, it offers tax benefits. And when you get the tax benefits, depends on whether you enroll in the traditional or the Roth TSP. If you enroll in the traditional TSP, you get the tax benefit up front. You make a deduction, you reduce your tax liability. Uh, so even if you don't make any money on your investments, it makes a lot of sense because you're keeping a little more of your money. Uncle Sam allows you to keep that money and says you don't have to pay taxes on it. And better yet, you can stick it in, a, in an investment program that's going to earn dividends, interest, and capital gains, and you're going to be able to defer tax on that. And if you invest in the Roth TSP, you get your tax benefit at the back end when you take the money out. So, so, so would, you, would you say that, that most people are conversant on this? I mean, they, they know how it works or they're aware? Well, what, what I'm finding is, uh, no, really, they're not. Uh, many people are. Uh, as a group, I think federal employees are very sophisticated and very bright, and many of them know all the ins and outs of all their benefits programs. But I routinely deal with some um, very sophisticated folks who, when I talk to them about the TSP, They'll say something like, is this available to me? Uh, I'm under the old system. I can't deduct these uh, these contributions. Can I? Uh, so th there are a lot of people that aren't aware of it. Uh, I, and many times the people that aren't aware of it are some of the brightest folks we deal with. We deal with people who are looking for ways to cure cancer or cure AIDS or find a vaccine for COVID or presiding in a federal courtroom. Uh, these are people that are extremely bright, but they're so busy in pursuing their career, they don't really focus on uh, ways to minimize tax or ways to use their funds to invest for their own benefit. And um, the traveling, I mean, we, we don't travel as much as we used to, but on shows like this, they can listen to it in California or, or um, wherever. So do you find then <clears throat> sometimes you get questions when, you know, in Idaho, can I do this, that, or another thing? And my answer is I'll get back to you. Um, but usually we can answer, we can answer most questions. Well, we'll give it our best shot. And, and one of the things that I found is one of the greatest legal research tools ever created by man is Google. Uh, I, I simply go online. One of the things I talk about in just about every seminar uh, that I present, I'll, I'll talk about the sources of income that a federal retiree will have. And one of those sources of income from virtually all federal employees is Social Security. And I always explain how federal, uh, federal tax law taxes Social Security. And I'll tell them, of course, we got 50 different sets of state laws. Many states grant favorable tax treatment. And if you want to know how, if you live in Idaho, is your Social Security taxable, you just go on Google. Just type in, is my Social Security taxable in Idaho? And usually, every state I've done that with, you'll have your answer in a matter of a couple of seconds. So, wow. So, but anyway, um, when, when people, I'm, I'm sorry. No, you finish and then I'll, I'll jump in. Well, as I said, the, the I always tell people, I always tell federal employees that uh, the very first place to look to reduce your taxes is the TSP. You're setting aside money for your benefit, so you keep control of that money. 
and you don't have to pay taxes on it. it has no impact on your ability to itemize deductions. Whether you itemize deductions or don't itemize your deductions, you're reducing your taxable income merely by setting aside money for your benefit, and then it grows tax deferred over however long you're going to leave it in the TSP. And as a result of a change that was implemented late last year by the SECURE 2.0 Act, uh, if you put money in the Roth TSP starting next year, you'll be able to leave that money there for the rest of your life. So you pay your taxes up front when you make the contribution to the TSP plan, and then you're done paying taxes. That money sits in the Roth IRA and hopefully earns substantial rates of return and grows completely tax-free. So my, my standard spiel to every federal employee is, is the one thing you absolutely must do is put as much money into the TSP as you can afford and as the law allows. Uh, and if you can afford to max out, you're, you're making a wise investment decision. You're reducing your tax liability. If you can't afford to max out, try to do the very best you can. And by all means, if you're covered by FERS, try to put in at least 5% of your salary so you get the full government matching contribution. Okay, so we got some okay. questions. <clears throat> One of them says, what steps can I uh, take now to reduce my tax liability? And I think you covered that well in the last few minutes. Well, that's always step number one. But but the other thing I'll say is it's now the end of September. Uh, the tax planning you're doing right now should really, you should start focusing on next year. 2024, because many of the steps you can take to reduce taxes do require a little bit of planning. And some of the other tax benefits that can help you reduce your tax liability relate to the federal employee health plan. Um, I, I don't know who designed the federal employee health benefits program, but whoever it was, they, they deserve a pat on the back. Um, all of us need health insurance. We all incur medical expenses and we all wanna make sure that we take steps to minimize the risk to our health. So we buy health insurance. And the FEHB program, Federal Employee Health Benefits Program is set up in such a way so that when you pay your health insurance, the money you're using to pay that insurance is taken out of your salary on a pre-tax basis. So. Uh, you're buying a benefit that you absolutely must have. Everybody needs health insurance. And you're doing it in such a way so you minimize your tax liability. I, I know the typical example I give, and I have no idea uh, what federal health premiums are because I haven't been covered by it. But I, the example I use is if your health insurance premium is $3,000 a year, by paying that premium on a pre-tax basis, you're reducing your tax bill by roughly $1,000, depending on your tax bracket. Uh, so that is a great way to structure a plan that allows you to pay for the cost of that plan in such a way so you can minimize your income tax. So um, whoever came up with that structure at OPM, as I said, deserves a pat on the back because they've done it in a way that helps all federal employees. Now, the one question I get all the time from the seminars I teach are many times called planning for retirement. So these are folks that are getting ready to retire. Can I do that when I retire? And unfortunately you can't. Uh, many federal employees can and probably do pay their health insurance premiums uh, by having money taken out of their annuity. So it comes out of their annuity. Unfortunately, it doesn't come out on a pre-tax basis. And the reason for that is there's a provision in the Internal Revenue Code that only allows employees to pay insurance premiums on a pre-tax basis while you're an employee. 
after you retire, you're no longer an active employee. You're a former employee, but that benefit doesn't extend to you following your retirement. Very good, Tom. I think it's time for a break. And we'll listen to what WEPA, the sponsor of the show, can do for the listeners. Times have changed, but WEPA's mission remains the same, to promote the health, welfare, and financial well-being of civilian federal employees. WEPA offers group term life insurance to civilian federal employees with up to $1.5 million in coverage, regardless of salary. As a WEPA member, you can access exclusive rates and benefits not available to the general public. How does this compare to Fegley? Unlike Fegley, WEPA's coverage amounts are not capped by your salary. WEPA will cover your family as well. For your children, WEPA offers double the benefits that Fegley offers. And for your spouse, WEPA offers 20 times more coverage than Fegley. 20 times more coverage! WEPA's coverage is also portable if you decide to leave the federal government or retire. You can even supplement or replace your existing policy. See how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today. All righty, welcome back to Show Your Benefit. We're here with Tom O'Rourke, attorney at law, tax whiz kid. A question came in at the break. Here we go. How does a possible shutdown affect my health insurance and HSA account if I'm not being paid? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know. Uh, I, it, I'm certain it doesn't have a real positive effect. Now, I, I know what will happen. Uh, we've been, this will not be the first time we've ever had a government shutdown. Uh, but it's my understanding that what will happen is if the government does shut down, you aren't going to get paid. Whether you have to go in and work or not, you're not going to get paid during the shutdown. But when the, when the budget is ultimately passed, you will be reimbursed. You will be paid for the time that you were furloughed. And presumably, uh, when you're paid, the cost for any benefits you're entitled to, such as health insurance or TSP uh, uh, allocations you've made, will be deducted from your gross pay. Uh, that That is my reaction that I think is a reasonable approach but I honestly don't know the answer to that. Well, it'd be tough to know the answer. So let's move forward. So where, where did we leave off? Um, tax. Well, uh, tax. Bob, I, I left off. I, I was telling folks that uh, in the federal benefits program, there are a number of features that allow you to set aside money. You keep control of it, but you don't have to pay taxes on it. And the big benefit is the TSP and we, we left off when we were talking about uh, paying your health insurance premium on a pre-tax basis. Once again, you take that money and you use it for your purpose to pay your insurance, but you don't have to pay tax on the amount of that money. Now, a, a common comment I will get is, but Tom, I don't itemize my deductions. My answer is, doesn't make any difference. Uh, whether you itemize deductions or whether you don't itemize deductions, you pay these premiums on a pre-tax basis and you get the tax benefit, even though you may not have an, enough deductions to otherwise make it advisable for you to itemize. Now, no matter how good your health insurance is, uh, virtually all plans require you to pay certain deductibles or co-pays. These are expenses that are typically paid on an after-tax basis. If you go to the doctor and you have a $100 copay, you've got to earn enough money, pay taxes on it, have $100 left, and pay the doctor. So, But the federal flexible spending account allows you to set aside money on a pre-tax basis. Once again, you're setting aside money, which you control, and you're going to use it to reimburse yourself for out-of-pocket medical expenses. So if you go to the doctor and you pay that $100 copay, this time you're paying it on a pre-tax basis. And as virtually all federal employees are, are well aware, this year in 2023, 
the amount you can set aside pre-tax is $3,050. So if you wish, you can reduce your take-home pay by $3,050. That is held in a separate account by the administrator of the flexible spending account. And then when you incur out-of-pocket medical expenses, things like co-pays or deductibles, uh, you submit a request for reimbursement, you are reimbursed by the administrator of your FSA. And the net effect of that is it allows you to pay out-of-pocket medical expenses on a pre-tax basis. You cut out the middleman. You cut out the tax guy. Uh, your money goes to directly pay your health care providers. So um, for individuals who expect to have out-of-pocket expenses, and if you go to the doctor or if you uh, buy a prescription, you will have certain out-of-pocket expenses, it's advisable to set aside money in a flexible spending account. Now, there is a pitfall. The pitfall is when you set aside that money, it's use it or lose it. If you set aside $3,000 and you, you're fortunate, you don't have any healthcare needs uh, and you don't use the $3,000, you're gonna lose it. Now you, you can carry forward, I, I forget it, what the exact amount is this year. I think you'll be able to carry forward somewhere around $600 in the current year. Uh, but for the most part, if you set aside money and don't use it, you lose it. Uh, so for people who are thinking of taking advantage of the flexible spending account, you may want to plan conservatively. For, for somebody um, who regularly takes prescriptions, you always have to pay a copay. It's a little easier for you to estimate which Bob sort of brings me to another point. Uh, as a tax advisor, I, I actually get excited about things that'll help people save taxes. But the one thing I always have to tell people, you never do anything merely to save taxes. If your only goal is to save taxes, I got a great solution for you. Just don't make any money. That's the ultimate tax shelter. So. <laughs> I thought of that when I was explaining the tax benefits of the flexible spending account. Yeah, you will save money. You will save taxes by putting money into the flexible spending account. But if you don't use that money, you're going to lose it. So you never take any action to lose money just to save taxes. So the moral of the story, when you're planning for the FSA, try to plan conservatively set aside an amount that you think you will need uh, and it'll save you a little bit. If you set aside the full $3,000 this year, it'll probably reduce your tax bill by somewhere in the range of $1,000 a year. That's $1,000 more in your pocket uh, and a little, little less you're given to Uncle Sam and you're, you're better off as a result of having done it. So that, that's another place that I encourage folks to look to try to uh, minimize their income tax liability and still achieve a desirable goal, set aside money to pay out-of-pocket health care expenses. Okay. And a bit of focus on this. What about IRAs? You know, we, we talked an awful lot about the TSP. Um, you know, if somebody's fortunate enough to max out the TSP, do, do they look at IRAs, traditional IRAs and or Roth IRAs? Well, that's an area that a lot of people get confused about. I frequently will have people, when I talk about IRAs, they'll make a comment. They'll say, Tom, why are you talking about IRAs? I, I already put money into the TSP. I'm not eligible to put money into an IRA. And my response is, no, you are eligible. Even if you've maxed out in the TSP, even if you put in $30,000 for those of you who are 50 or older or 22.5, for those of you who are younger than 50, you still have the right to contribute to an IRA. Now, uh, many of you will not be able to deduct that contribution. Uh, uh, back in 1986, Congress changed the tax law and they said you can only deduct contributions to an IRA 
if you are not covered by a qualified plan. Well, all federal employees are covered by a qualified plan. So for many of them, an IRA contribution is not deductible. And then and I know in the, in the early 2000s, Congress did allow people uh, who have income below a certain level. And I think the, the level for married folks is $116,000. If their adjusted gross income was below that level, they may still be able to deduct a contribution to an IRA. But the important point is, whether you can deduct it or not, once you make a contribution to an IRA, any investment earnings you realize, any dividends, interest, or capital gains are going to grow free of tax. And because they grow free of tax, they grow more rapidly. So as a federal employee, if you can afford to do it, max out on the TSP, and then if you want, you've got money left over, contribute the maximum amount to an IRA. And, and the maximum amount this year depends on your age. If under age 50, you can contribute $6,500. If you're over age 50, uh, it's $7,500. You put it into an IRA. And some of you may be eligible to put money into a Roth IRA. If you put money into a Roth IRA, you get no upfront tax benefit, no deduction. But when you withdraw the money from the Roth IRA, if you're over 59 and a half and you've had the account in existence for at least five years, your withdrawals may be, uh, or not maybe, will be tax-free. So uh, you, the mere fact that you max out on the TFP has no impact at all on your ability to put money into uh, either a Roth or a traditional IRA. Now, one other thing I've got to add is you are only eligible to make a contribution to any IRA, either Roth or traditional, uh, if you have earned income. And earned income is payment for services. Your annuity is not earned income. Your Social Security is not income. Your rental property doesn't produce earned income. Somebody's got to pay you for your services. So as long as you're an active employee, you do get paid for your services. And if you can afford to do it, it does make sense to put money into an IRA, if for no other reason, to allow any investment earnings to grow on a tax-deferred basis. So when we're looking at this, we're talking about the federal, federal government employees. But when they retire... Do they enjoy some of these same tax benefits that you mentioned while they were working? For the most part, no. Uh, all, all the benefits that I've been talking about here, the, the ability to put money into the TSP, the ability to pay health insurance on a pre-tax basis, the right to, to take advantage of those opportunities ends uh, to take advantage of the tax-saving benefits offered by those opportunities ends. You can't make contributions to the TSP after you retire. You can't pay your health insurance premiums on a pre-tax basis after you retire. You can't set aside money into the flex federal flexible spending account after you retire. You can put money into an IRA if you have some earned income. I, I always remember uh, I used to park in a parking lot, which is now about a 15-story building, and there was an, an elderly gentleman there, and he was a very friendly guy, and I, I got to know him. I talked to him every day, and I, I said, Charlie, uh, don't you have an annuity? He said, oh, yeah, Tom. He said, I retired. I got a great pension. He said, I just come here and work as an attendant because it doesn't require any heavy lifting. All I do is got to collect $3 from you. It's a way to get me out of the house, which makes my wife happy, and it allows me to make some money so I can fund my Roth IRA. So for those of you who are going to retire from the federal government and you want to do something similar to my old parking lot attendant, you can find a job, get paid a little bit of money, don't work too hard, and you'll still be able to put money into an IRA. This this would hold true for, for self-employed people too, correct? Absolutely. And, uh, if you're self-employed, you do have earned income, income from self-employment. 
and there are a whole host of different types of tax deferred plans that self-employed individuals can take advantage of. And many times, some of those self-employed plans will allow them to defer tax on a much larger amount than the IRA contribution limit. So uh, yeah, you, you, you can take advantage of an IRA if you have earned income. And then, uh, as you mentioned, when somebody hits a certain age, 70 and a half or whatever that is, that you have to take it. What do they call it? RMD? Required oh, the RMD, yeah. I, the, the RMD is required minimum distribution. And when you reach a certain age, which for many years was 70 and a half, as a result of changes in the tax law in recent years, it's now age 73. When you reach age 73, you have to start taking money out every year. And how much you have to take, uh, there's a relatively simple formula that's really pretty easy to apply. Uh, you, you need to know your account balance, and that number is provided to you every year by whoever is managing your tax-deferred money. Now, I want to emphasize the RMD requirements apply to everybody who's got money in a qualified plan, an IRA, a 401k, uh, TSP. If, if you have money that has been growing tax deferred, you've got to start taking money out of that account uh, now when you reach age 70 and a half. And in order to calculate your, quote, minimum distribution, you need to know your account balance and you need to know your age. Because if you know your age, you look at the IRS minimum distribution table and you simply divide your distribution period into your account balance and you determine how much you have to take out, the amount you're required to take out um, once you're over 73. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, those require those rules no longer apply starting next year, starting in 2024, to money in any Roth account, either the Roth TSP or Roth IRA. And if you sit down, I've, I've got a computer program that allows me to do that. If, if your money continues to grow tax deferred for the rest of your life, it can grow into a very large sum of money. And all the earnings from the time you make the contribution in a Roth account until you withdraw money, uh, it grows tax deferred and it grows into a really phenomenal phenomenal amount of money. So uh, I, I also want to throw in one other aspect that's somewhat related to the required minimum distribution. There's a provision of the tax code called a QCD, Qualified Charitable Distribution. Uh, QCDs have been in law for a number of years, and it, it usually would apply to a person who's somewhat fortunate. They've got to take money out of a retirement plan, and they don't really need the money. Uh, they got enough money from other sources to allow them to meet all their income needs. Uh, if you're in such a position, you can take money and have it paid directly from an IRA to a charity. And what you do is you satisfy two important goals. Number one, you, you satisfy the required minimum distribution because you are taking the money out of the tax deferred account. And number two, you avoid paying taxes on it. Number three, you're giving the money to a charity you support. Now, obviously, uh, if you want to take advantage of this, you want to be charitably inclined because it's not available for anything other than a charity. And the other really important point is you can't do this directly from the TSP. Uh, you can only make a QCD if the distribution is made from an IRA. So if the only tax deferred money you have is in your TSP account, you're going to have to take some of that money and put it in an IRA and then use it to make the QCD or qualified charitable distribution. And then one final 
caveat I got to put in. Uh, the maximum amount you can do to take advantage of this is $100,000. And if you're getting uh, a minimum distribution of $100,000, you've accumulated a pretty substantial retirement nest egg. Wow. Now, why don't we take a break here? My, my, my pen is, is red hot, so I'm taking good notes from you. So let's um, take the break and let the folks know about NITP. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career, or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. All righty, welcome back to the final leg, and then we got we got some questions here, Tom. So let's let's do this one. I think uh, the listeners would be happy to hear the answer to this. Can I contribute to both the TSP and an IRA? Yes, you most definitely can. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, an ideal strategy, if you have the money, is max out on the TSP, and then you still can put aside money into a tax deferred account uh, and the maximum amount depends on your age. It's $6,500 if you're uh, under 50 and $7,500 if you're over 50. So yes, you can contribute to both. Also, um, I've heard this term, uh, the voluntary contribution program. How does that work? Well, if that's a question I haven't heard in a good number of years, Bob. Uh, and probably the reason I haven't heard about it is it, it's a, a, a supplemental tax-deferred retirement plan that is only available to folks who are covered by CSRS, the Civil Service Retirement System. So all the folks that are covered by FERS, this is a benefit that's not available to you. But if you are covered by CSRS, it's a special supplemental retirement plan that allows you to deposit as much as 10% of all the income you've earned as a federal employee since day one. So if you started to work for the federal government back in the 1970s and your total income has been a million dollars, you can contribute as much as 10% of that or $10,000 to the voluntary contribution account. Once the money is contributed, it grows tax-deferred. It's an interest-bearing account guaranteed by the federal government, so you aren't going to lose money if the stock market crashes. Uh, you'll earn interest, and that interest grows tax-deferred. You don't have to pay taxes on it. Uh, and why, why would you do that? Well, you would do it because you can use the money in the account uh, to buy an increased annuity, you can either buy a larger annuity or you can take the money out in one lump sum. If you do take it out in one lump sum, uh, you've got to pay tax on any interest you've earned while the money was in the uh, voluntary contribution account. But again, uh, I've got to emphasize this is a, a, a supplemental benefit program that is only available to folks covered by CSRS. And for the most part, uh, you're only covered by CSRS if you were an active federal employee on or before uh, December 31st, I believe it was 1983. So, yes, you can take advantage of the voluntary contribution account. Very good. So what other nuggets do you have that maybe people aren't aware of? Well, uh, Bob, one nugget that, that I didn't really fully understand until fairly recently 
is the ability to put money into a health savings account. A health savings account is just a wonderful idea, but the absolute essential requirement is you are only eligible to establish a health savings account if you are enrolled in a high deductible health insurance plan. And high deductible means if you have self-only coverage, it's got to be a deductible of at least $1,500 this year. Uh, and if you have family coverage, the deductible must be at least uh, $3,000. In essence, that means you got to pay that amount of money out of pocket until your insurance is going to reimburse you for anything. Now, uh, a big benefit of many high deductible plans is the premiums are usually lower. And if you're enrolled in a high deductible health insurance plan, you also are eligible to establish a tax deferred health savings account. You can put aside money in an account that will earn income, dividends, interest, capital gains, that money on a pre-tax basis. This year, the amount you can set aside uh, if you uh, have self-only coverage is $3,850. And if you have family coverage, you can set aside $7,750. In addition, if you're over 55, you can make an additional $1,000 catch-up contribution. So if you're over 55 and you have family coverage, you can you get a, a tax deduction of $8,750, and you put that in an account, which you're going to manage for your benefit. It's going to earn dividends, interest, and capital gains, and those dividends, interest, and capital gains are not taxable. So by setting up an HSA and maxing out, you can save as much as $2,500 a year in taxes or more if you're in a higher tax bracket. And then once you have that money in the HSA, as I said, it continues to grow tax deferred. And if you take money out of the HSA, it's not taxable if it is used to pay health care costs. Uh, so you, if your kid needs to go to the dentist or uh, you need surgery and you have deductibles, co-pays that aren't reimbursed by insurance, you can take the money out. So it, it's a really wonderful way to set aside money, both to pay healthcare costs and if you don't need it to pay healthcare costs, it continues to grow. Tax deferred continues to earn income uh, that won't be taxable as long as it remains in the HSA. Now, you can also take the money out for any reason that's not related to health, but if you do, it's fully taxable and it's also subject to a 10% penalty, or maybe it's a 20% penalty. I, I forget exactly because my advice to people is always to, uh, if you're going to set it aside, use it only for health-related expenses. And um, as, as you know, Bob, in my law practice, I do both tax and estate planning. And when I talk about estate planning to folks, one of the concerns they always have is expenses they will incur maybe for a nursing home. Well, if you have money in an HSA, that is a way for you to save to pay your nursing home expenses. And if you drop out of a high deductible health insurance plan, you keep the money. It's not use it or lose it. It's not like the FSA. Once you set aside money, into that health savings account. It's your money and it remains your money and you can use it at any time for the rest of your life. Now, there are, there are two, two resources I wanna to mention to folks uh, that they can look at if they have any interest at all in an HSA. I, I read a very informative article uh, in Government Executive, uh, Government Executive Magazine. Uh, it was an article entitled why every federal employee should consider a health savings account. This article was written by a gentleman named Kevin Moss. 
It appeared in Government Executive in June of this year. It's very easy to find online. I went on the way I found it online was I simply went, typed in health savings accounts for federal employees. And Mr. Moss's article was one of the first things that popped up. And it's very informative. It tells you who can qualify for an HSA, the benefits of investing in an HSA, um, uh, and another very helpful resource is OPM's website. OPM has a very detailed website that discusses who can and who cannot participate in an HSA. And it's important to know there are some limits. There are some people who are not eligible for an HSA. And just a very quick listing, if you're enrolled in Medicare, you're not eligible for an HSA. If you're covered by another health plan that's not a high deductible plan, if you can be claimed as a dependent on somebody else's tax return, if you're enrolled in the general FSA program, you, you're not eligible. If you're covered by TRICARE or TRICARE for Life, or if you qualify for VA health benefits. Uh, so that, there, there, there are a lot of people who are not eligible to put money into an HSA, but if you are eligible, when you are doing your research for the federal open season, every year uh, there are 30 plus options offered by OPM. I would encourage you to study and look at the high deductible plans. Uh, I also would encourage you to read the government employee or government executive article and, and take a look at OPM's website because it is very helpful and it's uh, very understandable, uh, which as somebody who just qualified for Medicare, I'm learning it can be kind of difficult figuring out your health insurance needs. And you'll probably have a guest on later in the year who forgot more this morning about federal health insurance than I'll ever know. Uh, <laughs> but when you are looking at the various health plans that are available to you, uh, if you take a look at high deductible health insurance plans and that meets your medical needs, that may be something you might want to consider. And one final nugget I've got to throw out. When you're considering whether to set up an HSA, look at the high deductible plan. It may or may not be for you. And don't pick it merely because it'll help you save taxes. You never take any action to save taxes that is not an otherwise prudent investment decision. Very good. Tom, I think we have all of uh, four, four and a half minutes, Andrew. Andrew says four. So you, you, you filled up uh, an hour with more than an hour's worth of uh, information. What's the final thoughts? Well, m my final thought, Bob, when, when I came on this show, uh, I thought I was going to talk almost exclusively about <laughs> health savings accounts. And and I, I've really gotten excited, excited about them uh, because they do really offer a fairly significant tax benefit. You can you can generate a tax deduction of as much as $8,700 a year for yourself. You set aside the money. You keep control of the money. You don't have to pay taxes on it. And I, I also, if if you go online and simply type into Google health savings account, you're going to find all kinds of articles that extol the benefits of contributing to an HSA. And again, most of these most of these articles focus on on tax savings. Uh, I've heard the term it's it's a triple tax saving plan. Uh, you get a deduction when you put the money in. The money is invested and grows tax free. And when you take the money out, it's also tax free if you use it to pay health care expenses. So uh, for folks who have any interest in it, spend a little bit of time doing a little bit of research on your own. If a high deductible health plan is for you, then by all means, take advantage of the health savings account. If you do research and you find out, no, uh, the health high deductible plan is not for me, well, then move on to something else. Uh, there are opportunities for you uh, in your benefits program 
that allow you to make wise investments uh, and reduce your tax liability. So, but you have to do a little bit of homework on your own. And as always, uh, hopefully, if if you have a, a somewhat difficult tax situation, you have an advisor, you may have a CPA, a tax preparer, certified financial planner. Those folks tend to be very good resources to help you make prudent investment decisions and minimize your tax liability. So have you, have you found uh, people listening to well, today's show, but I mean, with the folks that you address at the webinars, seminars, um, they're, they're older, if you will, and they're looking at retirement. What can go into retirement that wouldn't be lost? In other words, you know, you're entitled to this benefit up until the day you retire. And if you funded it, you can't have it or you can't do anything after that. Is there anything about death planning with regards to the money left behind? Oh, the, uh, the, a lot of things, Bob. That's, that's the, the whole subject of estate planning. And as, as I'm sure you know, you've filled whole show, shows talking about estate planning. But, but there are ways you, for many folks... Uh, when you do retire, you may have a substantial tax-deferred nest egg in the TSP. There are ways you can plan to pass those funds on in the event of your death to a loved one, a spouse or a dependent child. And there are steps you can take to minimize liability. Uh, it's become very easy to avoid estate taxes in recent years because the estate tax exemption is now in the at least in the in the D.C. area, the, the uh, estate tax exemption is at least four and a half million dollars. And it, um, it, at the federal level, it's it's over 12 million dollars may change in the short term future within the next two years. But but there are countless steps you can take that would allow okay. you to pass a substantial nest egg on to somebody you love and care about and minimize taxes. All right, Andrew, what do we got? A minute left? I can't see Andrew, but a minute, minute, minute and a half, Tom, and then uh, we'll call it a day. Okay, well, again, uh, tax planning, if, if you do a little bit of planning, it's well worth your time and effort. Uh, you, you can figure out ways to allow you to keep more of your money, give a little less to Uncle Sam, and make sure you stay out of trouble with my former employer, the Internal Revenue Service. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search For Your Benefit. Thanks for listening.